Cradio.org.au I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. You who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ. Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy, an exploration of the charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Welcome to Cradio. I'm Sister Bernadette Pike, a John Paul II sister from Perth, and I'm delighted to be with you again. This is the sixth talk in a series of talks on the charism of John Paul II. And it's very exciting. We have finally reached the stage in our talks where we start to look at the physical characteristics of John Paul II's way of being. So we've looked at the consciousness of man and the attitudes that underlie John Paul II's way of being with God and with other people. And now we're going to look at what that looks like tangibly. This is a great opportunity for us to look at, to examine our own way of being really as we go through this, particularly if you're a parent, think, am I able to practice all of these with my kids, especially when they're frustrating or they're irritating me and even if you're not a parent can you do this with your family members can you do this in your workplace with the people that you walk past on the street with those on the train we're going to just look at various features of this way of being and I'm sure you'll be able to as we go through be able to appreciate how needed they are in the church and how important it is for us to to quickly learn to practice them really to be a living witness so that other people can both experience this and learn from our example as well. So let me just quickly go over the headings that we're about to go through. So this is the second part of the series of the talks, if you like. There are going to be a few talks. So in the first section, we're going to focus on the attention to the other. So this involves welcoming the other person with our whole heart and our whole body. What does that look like? How do we learn to see the person and not just their problems? How do we learn to make time to be available to people, to be really present with them, to attend to the person even when we're not physically present? How do we learn to attend to people? How do we learn to attend to God in the midst of that relationship, to have attention to the other with a capital O first, to be possessed by Christ? Um, and also the importance of personal conversion so when I'm with someone else I'm only going to be able to be present with them if I've dealt with the things that are coming up within me that might be obstacles to me being present so to enjoy a freedom to be present we need to attend to our own needs especially with the people that are irritating and challenging us and we also need to be able to deal with the temptations to use the other person as an object all these things that come up within us, the personal, the process of personal conversion, of repenting and believing the good news, of integrating the truths of the faith into ourselves personally, um, a faith that believes in the fullness of revelation, a conscience and a reason that's been formed 
by the great treasury of wisdom in the church um, and learning to be docile to the Holy Spirit. So this last aspect that I'm talking about here, this personal conversion, is really, really important in terms of being able to really live out this attention to the other that we're talking about. The next part that we're going to look at is learning to listen and entering into the person's story, learning the language of the person's heart, how to be compassionate, how to avoid jumping to conclusions, basically leaving our agenda at the door. We're going to see how we can believe in the capacity of the other person to integrate and to transcend what is within them, to be able to choose the good and the true to be mindful that we're discovering truth together, that the Holy Spirit speaking to us through this relationship as well too. Then we're going to turn our, our um, discussion to entering into dialogue. This is a really key thing for John Paul II. He's always talking about entering into dialogue. And this for us is affirming what is good, beginning with the very humanity of the other person, to find what already unites us, what we share in common, and you can see as I'm, we're talking about this section, this isn't just important for people we talk to on a personal basis, but even you can apply it to the Holy Father's activities and his um, relations with people from other faiths, his ecumenical work in the church. So we have to, in this section, entering into dialogue, we also have to be ready to speak the truth, to know Christ and our faith and to be able to speak that when it's necessary in a way that's pro- always proposing and inviting and not imposing And we also need to learn the importance of living the gospel ourselves, of being a witness in this entering into the dialogue. And we're going to look at John Paul II's way of facing the world without fear. So what does that mean in terms of facing our own inadequacy first and then in our relationships with other people and keeping the message of redemption and mercy at the forefront of our minds? And that message of redemption and mercy is important even when we're looking at our own inadequacy and weakness too. In entrusting ourselves to Christ through Mary and of being a witness of the crucified Christ and of the resurrection. And then we're going to also just touch briefly on the enculturation of the gospel to every person at every level of society. Ad gentes, which is touching on the Holy Father's missionary spirituality. So this is basically an overview of where we're going to go from here. All right, let's launch out into the deep and let down our nets for a catch. The first section, attention to the other. We mentioned this briefly in one of the earlier talks when we were discussing John Paul II's ability to focus all of his energies onto the person that he was with and how that made that person feel. So we were saying... Cardinal Jivish said that his gaze penetrated your soul and made you feel like the sole object of his attention. Nowadays, our time is spent with people, that our time spent with people is so often accompanied by our phone, computer, TV, iPod, etc. We've developed a confidence that we can absorb as much as we need to with the least amount of effort. If we talk on the phone, we're usually walking or driving or cooking dinner. Perhaps you've been known to start checking emails or phone messages while you're in the presence of family and friends without excusing yourself. At one point, it was rude to speak to someone on the phone when you're in the middle of a conversation. But now, according to the Australian alternative consensus that just came out, 41% of Australians say it's rude to 
interrupt the conversation. 51% say it's okay to talk on your phone if you excuse yourself first. And 4% don't think it's rude at all. It's hard to know when you can start a personal conversation because we're unsure about when the person will suddenly be distracted. It's hard to also know if there is any generally accepted etiquette at all when using technology. Can you recall a time when you started to say something personal and the other person took a phone call or went to do something else only to forget to return to the conversation? It's like the end of the conversation just kind of lingers in mid-air. And how few of us are reluctant to bring it up again because you wonder whether the other person actually is very interested. It leaves you thinking, were they even interested in the first place? Many people believe they are saving time by doing several things at once. And there's no doubt that we are doing more things at the same time nowadays. High-speed computers help facilitate this. But how well are we doing the things that we do and at what expense? There's some debate now about whether we are actually doing two things at once or flipping quickly between one or the other. And either way, we are beginning to realise that our attention to each activity is compromised. We're, we're not taking in as much, we're not remembering as much or processing it as much. I call it the not all there syndrome. <laughs> it's a phrase that was commonly used in the past for people with neurological deficits who seem to be in another place sometimes. It's also been used to refer to people who are experiencing so much emotional turmoil within that they cannot be physically present to others and seem to be constantly off on a tangent. So we say, oh, that's Bob, you know, he's not all there really. But nowadays I think this syndrome or this, it's not really a syndrome when we use that phrase, but I would call it a syndrome that's enigmatic of today's society. It's so common. How many of us suffer from this during our day? We're with someone but thinking about something else. We have trouble remaining focused and attentive to the person. It's harder to remember the names and details of conversations. Oh, well, we tell ourselves, hopefully they'll uh, put it on Facebook and we can remind ourselves of it when we need to. We can check their Facebook and find out the significant day, like their birthday. Or Even when I sense the person has something important to say, isn't it difficult to stay focused only on that person for a long period of time? So many report that they cannot stop their distracting train of thought when they are not only with other people, but also with God when they sit down to try to pray. They have trouble motivating themselves to spend time in prayer because they just don't feel like they can concentrate. I wonder how many people in our lives experience us as being not all there for them, as the status quo, even God. I wonder if we ask God or the people in our lives, do you think I suffer from this not all there syndrome sometimes? And if so, when or what does that look like? See, the thing is, we need someone's undivided attention to feel safe to open up. Because, because I wear the habit, people will often approach me in public and start talking to me. This is particularly true um, now that I'm in America. I just we'll just do a little sidebar and I just share a quick little story with you. I cannot believe this is one of the things that one of the culture shocks I had when I came over to America. I walked down the street when I first I'm living in Washington DC at the moment. I, some people say that makes a bit of a difference, but and I walk down the street and people say, "Morning, sister." "Morning, sister." "Morning." Anyway, they they say it with an American accent. And my response is, "Oh my goodness, they know what a sister is." <laughs> or they're 
friendly. They're not giving me a funny look or they're not abusing me. (laughs) The response is so completely different to sisters over here. And in the beginning, I was was really shocked. And I, I kept saying to people, why is this happening? Why why are people reacting like this? And the Americans thought maybe it has something to do with this freedom of religion and respect for other religions over here. But it's it's really interesting at home when I would walk around, apart from negative reactions and occasional abuse, I would sometimes have people approaching me, but it's even more so over here in cultures that are, are open and respectful of religion, obviously. So now if I want to walk to the train station, I try to factor in a bit more time just in case I stop and talk to someone or I need to allow for those for those moments if I'm able to, to be able to allow for them. As they ask me for directions or make a comment too, it might be, for example, about seeing sisters in habits, how excited they are or talking to them about something else that's emotionally neutral. I can see that they're assessing my response as they continue. They may not even be aware that they're doing it, but you can almost see it in their eyes. As I quietly keep focused, take in what they're saying and ask questions, they seem to begin to feel safer to open up to deeper and deeper things. And by the end of the conversation, they seem surprised that they've shared so much. Often they're apologizing for taking up my time. It's so rare for people to give one another time. We've begun to feel guilty if we receive it. Well, we say to ourselves, they mustn't really want to listen to me because no one else does and they must have so many other things that they really want to do so I better apologize for even talking to them in the first place. We're so used to people walking away from us to do something that's more important than being with us. Even if we try to put other things on hold and focus on someone, how often does this dialogue take place over text message or email and not in person? In some ways, we're aware that this, there can be a superficiality in virtual communication and there are attempts to try to address this with technology. We can buy a smartphone now, for example, with dual cameras that allows us to see the person we're talking to, provided they have the same feature. And more and more people are communicating via Skype or other programs that do the same thing. But as I use these features, I notice that many people would prefer not to have visuals or have trouble looking at me when they're talking. In some ways, virtual networks have made it easier for us to share personal details about our life, but it is done in a calculated and a constructive way. This is why 37% of Australians on Facebook, I think there's much more on Facebook in the first place, but 30% of people that are on Facebook share their photos and information with people they haven't even met before. And 55% of Australians, that's one in four Australians, can be friends with someone they don't even like. But so this is an example of what I'm saying. In-person communication about important things is becoming harder and harder, especially for the younger generations. It's such a shame too, because as we all know, there are so many people that are crying out to be heard, posting on Facebook even the most menial details of their day. John Paul II said in a general audience on the 16th of May 1979, Although man defends access to his secrets, although he wants to keep them for himself, he has still a greater need. He is hungry and thirsty for someone before whom he can open up, to whom he can manifest and reveal himself. So this is bringing to mind again this whole idea of participating in the humanity of 
of the other person, the particular type of communication. This insatiable desire to be seen, heard and affirmed does not diminish throughout life, even if we ignore it. We're prepared to accept counterfeit forms of it. We're so desperate for it, we, we accept and we're easily duped by fakes. Do you know of women who allow men to use them, seeking attention even though it's not good for them? And on the flip side, I've met men for whom it's a real struggle to relate to women because the women fall for them so quickly. If they're good at paying attention, listening and affirming others, they say things like, the women seem to think I like them, you know, like them. But just because I might be one of the few people in their lives that do this doesn't mean I want to go out with them. It can be a real cross for people like this, not just for men, but people generally. Once you start attending to people and really giving them the time, because there's so much within them, there's a backup, a buildup of what they want to be able to share and work through. It's hard to continue to love and to do so with good boundaries. Unfortunately, because so few people are able to attend to others well, many have retreated within themselves and find it very difficult to open up to others about personal things at all. For those who've grown up with silent treatment from a loved one, the mistrust that others actually want to listen to them is further compounded. It's important for us to be able to identify where we could do better. It can be a surprise to realise that we need to learn something as rudimentary as focusing our attention on someone in a genuine way. So let's look at some of the things that we can keep in mind when we're trying to attend to the other person. First of all, we want to welcome this person with our whole heart and our body. For John Paul II, he believed that each person was especially entrusted to him. He saw that they were special and he wanted to spend time with them. He says, Whenever I meet a person, I pray for them, and this always helps me in my relationships. It's difficult for me to explain how others perceive this. You would have to ask them. However, I follow the principle of accepting each one as a person whom the Lord sends to me and at the same time entrusts to me. So every person that we, we enter into relationship with, it, it's, they're, they're especially entrusted to us. So the way we look at them has to affirm this, has to welcome them. It's good to try every time we come into contact with someone before we assess how that person's feeling or where that person's at, to smile with joy at all that is before us. Even if we don't fully understand the dignity of that person, there's a mystery and there's so much that we don't understand about that person that's precious and that is objectively precious, precious in the eyes of God, even if we don't see it. So it's good to, to take, use the opportunity to really convey with our eyes, with our body language, that they are a special person. Do I avoid eye contact on the train? Perhaps I, even when I don't need to use my phone on the train or listen to a headset or listen to some music, I find ways of not having to look at other people on the train, in the lifts when I'm going up and down from work. Can I learn to seek out eye contact with others, to smile and to hold eye contact to ensure the person didn't think I had a twitch on my face and then I, or that I was just kind of glancing in their direction, but that actually I'm looking at them and to smile genuinely to, and to hold that glance for a little bit as well too if that person hasn't looked away. 
And, and it's good for us to think of examples in the Bible where Jesus did this for other people with a rich young man when he looked at him and loved him, with a woman at the well when he looked at her and loved her, and to be able to imitate this. Because each time we welcome one person, we welcome Christ. And in a certain sense, we welcome every single person. And in giving ourselves to one person, we learn to love every person better. And we learn to, learn to love God better too. So we're just going to stop this talk here and we're going to continue in the next talk with the attention to the other person and ways that we can learn to do that. But for now, at the end of your day when you're sitting down to prayer and really reflecting on the way, ways God might have been speaking to you, to examine your interactions with people. Was I able to really attend to the people that I came across in my day today? Did I? And if I didn't, what was I doing to distract myself? So let's, let's ask the Lord to help us with this as we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We give you thanks, Lord, for the capacity that we have to relate to other people, for the way you've created us, that we can even enter into intimacy with other people and with you. Lord, you know the state of our hearts, you know our fears, you know how scary it is to open up to other people, how weary we are to enter into relationship, especially with certain people. But Lord, you know that it's good for us. We pray that you would show us the way, show us the way to attend to others, to see their dignity, to really welcome them with our whole heart and our body, just as you did in the scriptures. And we ask all the holy angels and saints who lived this attention to the other in reaching a state of holiness, lived this attention to the other naturally because the Holy Spirit was working through them. And so we pray that they would also intercede for us and help us to imitate this way of being with other people so that in attending to the other, Christ might be able to use us to speak through us, to communicate with others and provide for the deepest needs of their heart. Amen. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au.